Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Beauty Talk. I'm your host, Janice Tunnell, for today, Sunday, February 16th. Thank you guys for tuning in. Uh, we are, um, have some beauty news for you guys tonight and some things that we want to share. I just want to remind you guys that if you have a comment or a question or some news of your own that you'd like to share, please give us a call at 914-803-4399. Again, that number is 914-803-4399. Nine nine. Right, I'm going to turn it over to Denise so that she can greet you guys as well. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to uh, the show. Welcome to uh, Beauty Talk with Beauty Talk. I'm sorry, um, we're <laughs> continuing our uh, beauty news show um, again tonight, but we will uh, be back next week with a guest. Um, and we'll be sending out more information on that guest, so stay uh, tuned to our um, our Facebook, our Twitter, and our Instagram pages for uh, an update on our guest for next week. Uh, we're pretty excited, so we'll be giving you guys more information um, on that. And we're going right. to give a... No, go ahead. No, go ahead. I was going to say we want to give a um, a big shout out and, and say congratulations uh, to the hair and makeup team for Bombshell uh, for bringing home uh, the um, the makeup and hairstyling Oscar uh, again from the movie Bombshell. Um, there was Kazu Hero, um, Anne Morgan, and Vivian Baker. Uh, Kazu uh, was. Uh, responsible for the special uh, makeup effects, both Kazu and uh, Vivian. Um, and then there was Ann Morgan for hair. Um, and it's interesting how um, for the Oscars, it's all included in one category, makeup and hairstyling. Uh, but I do know for the Guild Awards, uh, which was held um, uh, sometime before the Oscars, um, uh, Kazu, of course, was for uh, special effects, um, and Anne Morgan for hair, and then uh, um, Vivian also won with Kazu for special effects, but then she also um, won with Richard um, Redlison for um, contemporary makeup. So, if, of course, in the Guild Awards, it's, it's kind of separated contemporary makeup, contemporary hair, and special effects, but then for the Oscars, it's all just kind of lumped into uh, one category for hair and makeup. So that's something to think about if you're working on a film or television show, and um, well, for film rather, for the Oscars, you're working on a on a particular movie, and you know, and if if you feel like your work is up to par and Oscar worthy, you know, the the good thing is, you know, you should try to work as a team. Uh, when it comes to hair and makeup, because that's the only way you're going to win it is that is as a team, you know. So, because sometimes you know, you you when you have especially like the Guild Awards, um, it separates everything, and like the Emmys, um, everything is separated out, hair or you know, and makeup separated out, nothing's clumped together. So, it's good to to be able to just work as a team to you know to bring some of these awards home. So. Just wanted to point that out. All 
right. That is so true. Um, it's definitely a team effort for sure. Um, just wanted to bring some things to you guys' attention. Um, Crowbeauty.org, there, uh, or I should say PDA, another. They're having their executive summit November 18th through uh, 9th, I'm sorry, November 17th through 19th um, of this year in November. Um, it's the PBA Executive Summit. The host hotel is the Omni Scottsdale Resort and Spa at Montalusia, and that's in uh, Scottsdale, Arizona. They have some really good rates, um, you know, for for Scottsdale. Um, so if you're interested in attending the Executive Summit, you may want to go out to probeauty.org to uh, try to book your rooms as well as get your tickets for the summit. This event takes place um, every year. It's an annual thing. It's really good for those who are um, in business, in the beauty business. You know, if you're a salon owner, um, you know, if you're a salon owner, if you are uh, someone working in the business of beauty, um, it's definitely good for you to try to participate or try to be, part, be a part of it in some way. You can um, get a chance to hear some phenomenal speakers in business that's in the beauty industry. Learn about, you know, um, the trends as far as business is concerned in beauty. Definitely something you want to check out. Again, it's taking place November 17th through 19th in Scottsdale, Arizona. Again, that's the PBA Executive Summit, so make sure you save the date. Um, we're always talking about PBA, and which is Professional Beauty Association. We're always talking about PBA and how great it is and trying to encourage people to become a member. And one of the things that I wanted to highlight that we, you know, we, we give like some general um, benefits for being a member. One of the things that we've never talked about was um, some of the membership resources that's out there. And, and I just wanted to, to um, make mention of that because a lot of times we don't realize a lot of people who are in business don't realize the resources that PBA, PBA has to offer. So a lot of hairstylists out there who own salons and you're not a member of PBA, a lot of estheticians out there, um, makeup artists who own their own studios, who have a staff of employees, nail techs, same thing, in the salon, and you're not members of PBA, one of the things that you that you're definitely missing out is not only the benefits of being a member of PBA, but also the resources that they can offer you as a business owner. Of course, you get discounts on events and education that, you know, that PBA puts on. They have a resource library, um, you know, an insurance marketplace that talks to you, that tells you about insurance and the types of insurances that you need for your particular business. Um, of course, you can also become an advocate. That's not uh, that's a resource, but it's also something where you become an advocate. You can really get involved and really fight and push for the for legislation and push for new laws um, in beauty. Because remember, there's still this big thing about taking away licenses. That even though we don't talk about it much, and you may not hear about it as much, it still exists. And so. Um, it's a good thing to kind of get involved as a beauty advocate um, when joining PBA. They have what they call um, business blueprints. And what that's all about is <clears throat> they have several. For, for those members who are beauty, uh, I'm not sorry, not beauty, but who are business members. So for your uh, PBA members who are business members, you have a business membership, 
um, that these resources are free to you. If you don't, if you're a PBA member, you don't have a business membership, but you would like to have a business membership, or you know you would like to upgrade your membership to a business membership, you need to uh, reach out to membership at probeauty.org. Again, that's membership at probeauty.org, and they have loads of. Um, they call them business blueprints, and they have loads of resources, forms, things that you can download um, to get information from or to use in your particular business by making adjustments to um, things like, um, well, first of all, for salons, things like business planning, give you business planning resources, guides to compensation, um, information on your like your hours of um, hours of operation, job descriptions. If you're trying to put together a an employee manual, um, and you need job descriptions, employee valuations, um, front desk resources, different things that take place in a salon. And sometimes people decide, you know, like for instance, the hairstylist may decide they want to open up a salon. And a lot of times the focus is always put into, you know, like your equipment. So that's going in. You know, you're talking about shampoo bowls and dryers and things like that. Um, people are so focused on those things that sometimes they, they, when they do get serious about the administrative part, there's a lot of things that they miss. Um, so PBA has a lot of those resources available to you, you know, your marketing resources, um, human resource uh, information, toolkits, you name it, um, they have it. Um, they also have IRS resources. And when I realized that, I was like, this would be a great time to talk about taxes. Because that time, that, you know, that time of year is now. And the deadline is April 15th. Um, I don't want to assume that everybody knows that, but the deadline is April 15th. And um, I feel like it's important to talk a little bit about taxes. So let's, um, let's do that right after, after this. How would you like to become friends with benefits? I'm sure that got your attention. I'm talking about FriendsBeauty.com, now offering a benefits discount program to all of our friends. That's right. Professionals that qualify can save up to 40% and non-professional consumers up to 10% just for setting up a free account online. At FriendsBeauty, we offer a huge range of products, including beauty makeup, special FX and theatrical makeup, skin care, wigs and extensions, styling tools, and more with thousands of brands at the best prices. We've been in business since 1940 and pride ourselves on ensuring our friends have the best shopping experience ever. Sign up for our Friends Discount Program and shop with us today at Friends, that's F-R-E-N-D-S, no I, beauty.com. Friendsbeauty.com. We also offer studio services for production orders at 818 691 1294. That's 818-691-1294. Join our program and become a friend with benefits today. All right. So before I finish talking about PBA, let me just tell you what PBA offers as resources to their members. And then I'll just get into talking about taxes in general for us beauty professionals. Um, so as a resource from PBA, they offer their um, business members, um, IRS form SS8, okay, and that, um, that form is a form where workers and firms, uh, they file this particular form to request a determination of the status of a worker for purposes of federal employment taxes and income tax withholding, okay, that's IRS form SS8. Then the form that we all know about, IRS Form 1040 ES, I'm sorry, ES, not, we don't all know about that one. I was thinking it was EZ, but ES. And um, people will use this package to figure and pay your estimated tax. Okay, so for those who are not paying taxes, um, 
you know, throughout the, um, you know, like regularly, like most people may get a check every week or every other week, once a month, and they're paying taxes. For those people who aren't paying taxes on a regular basis, will be estimating their taxes. And um, that's a particular uh, package that you need to determine what your estimate tax will be. That's IRS Form 1040ES. IRS Form 941 is also offered. And um, it's for employers who withhold income taxes, Social Security tax, or Medicare tax from employees' paychecks, or who must pay the employer's portion of Social Security or Medicare tax. They will be using Form 941 to report those taxes. Okay. They also offer tax tips for the cosmetology and barber industry, as well as cash intensive business audit techniques guide. Okay. This is a guide where um, the, for beauty and barbershop owners, this guide is composed of collective information from audits, interviews of salon owners, and contracts with state departments. This guide is intended to provide an overview of the industry. Okay, and then this you, this is where people have problems right here. Independent contractors. Okay, a lot of people are confused because they they can't define what an independent contractor is. Well, PBA has resources to help you with that. They have so much independent contractor information. Um, defining uh, what an independent contractor is. Self-employed individuals, they have a self-employed individuals tax center, and then they have forms that forms um, that's associated uh, for taxes for independent contractors. They have a employer's tax guide, publication 15, and that, that re uh, explains your responsibility as an employer. And then, of course, uh, guides for starting a business and keeping records. Um, tax reforms for business. They have different high, things that highlight that. And then they have IRS videos that are great resources as well. Um, so for those who are PBA business members, you have access to all of that um, through your membership. For those who are not members of PBA, but again, you're working in salons, um, you're an esthetician, a nail tech, you have your own businesses, you need to look into these resources because they are out there for you. Um, it's just a matter of becoming a member of um, PBA. I don't know the – you have to go to the website to determine what the membership is for a business membership, but I do know um, just a general membership is very reasonable in price. Okay, so definitely – Go out there and check it out, and their website is probeauty.org. Okay. Um, I wanted to talk about taxes in general. Um, I've had a lot of experience with, with uh, taxes, so has my sister. Um, we both years ago used to volunteer with the IRS. Um, during tax time with a, a program called VITA, progr uh, VITA program. And it was it was mainly for those who would be filing like 1040EZ, uh, 1040A, and that's pretty much where it stopped. It, if, you were, if you had a 1040, you couldn't get your taxes filed for free through the VITA program. Um, it was um, It was a great experience. We were actually trained at the IRS um, to volunteer. We did that for a little while. But then I actually worked for about nine and a half years as a tax accountant um, with Citigroup. So, you know, between working as a tax accountant, starting my own businesses, and keeping records, um, for, you know, for my businesses, as well as doing personal returns for myself and for others, you know, I, um, it was something that was just, that I just always did, and it was something that I always paid attention to, even though I, I don't do taxes for people anymore or um, work for a company anymore doing taxes, but 
is something that I'm always conscious of throughout the year when I'm keeping records for my businesses. And so that's one of the, the first things that I wanted to talk about is your record keeping. Um, we have to, um, you have to, I always, when I, when I keep records for my business, the thing that I have in mind is tax time. So that's what I always start off by telling people to um, keep good records for tax purposes. So some people say, well, as a, as a makeup artist, let's not even talk about businesses, but just as a makeup artist or hairstylist. Some people say, well, what kind of records should you keep? Well, as I'll just say, for a makeup artist and a hairstylist, every time you go out and buy supplies, you need to keep those receipts. So if you go out and buy hairspray, a lipstick, you know, all of this not for your personal use, but for for work, for your kids, for your can, work in the salon. I say, for your can I say one little thing really quickly? Um, and I'm glad you're pointing out um, keeping receipts because I know so many people who would love to say, you know, why are you collecting all this paper? Why are you keeping these receipts when if you just use your your you know your bank card or your credit card you can just use your bank statements or your credit card statements but the only the difference between all of that is you're not getting the detail that a paper receipt would offer and you know your accountant some account some accountants will say just use your bank statements but you know I feel like if you want to, if you're going to use your bank statements, then you can at least attach those paper receipts to those particular bank statements that that the receipts are on. Because if if extra detail is needed um, to prove certain things, then you need all the detail that you can get from those receipts. Because the when it comes to those taxes, the burden of proof relies on you, the taxpayer. Okay, that's all I wanted to say. Absolutely. Um, so definitely keeping keeping your receipts for everything that you purchase for work. That does not include um, the clothes that you buy. I know some years in the past people would write off clothing and that kind of thing. Even even when you couldn't do it, they would do it. That is not that is not something that you can do. Um, just like she said, the burden of proof falls on the taxpayer. So you can tell your accountant whatever you want to tell your accountant, and a lot of them will do whatever you ask them to do. But at the end of the day, if something comes up and the IRS says this does not look right, they are coming to you, not the accountant. Okay, so so you have to remember that. Okay, since she mentioned the burden of proof, let me tell you what the IRS says the definition of burden of proof is. Okay, so what is the burden of proof? The responsibility to substantiate entries, deductions, and statements made on your tax returns is known as the burden of proof. You must be able to prove certain elements of expense to deduct them. So basically, if you're trying to take deductions, if you can't prove it, don't do it. That's the bottom line. If you can't prove it, don't do it. I know there are a lot of accountants out there who know how to get really fancy and creative with um, with tax returns. I know a lot of people out there who who will give their accountants a whole lot of stuff. And what the accountants do is a lot of them won't won't check, won't ask the questions, won't verify. They'll just use those numbers and keep going. So you have to be responsible for your own return. I know there's a lot of people, taxes freak them out. They don't know how to complete their return, and that's okay. And it's okay if you seek help. 
But what I'm saying is, is learn to, when, you, when the, uh, the accountant does your return, gives it back to you before you either um, submit it online or, or put it through the mail, however you do, sit there, look through it. And if something doesn't look right or you're, or you're not really familiar with something, ask the question. Ask. But one thing you want to do is make sure that you can prove everything that's on that return, okay? Because, again, the burden of proof is going to fall on the taxpayer. Um, so, like I said, keep every receipt for all of your purchases, like for your supplies, for um, anything, for like your advertising and marketing um, things. For instance, if you buy business cards, um, save those receipts. Um, you're going to, that amount is going to be filed under advertising. Um, if you have a home office, anything related to that home office, if you buy office supplies or anything that's related to that home office, Keep those receipts. You know, your use of telephone and Internet for business purposes, record those amounts. Like, I don't know if, like, if you have Internet at home, but, of course, your Internet is used for personal use and part business, determine what's business, how much is business, you know, and how much is personal, and use that business amount. Those are things that you want to um, pay attention to. Any equipment that you buy. So if you have, um, so for instance, a makeup artist, if you have like an airbrush um, compressor, um, i trying to think, what else for makeup artists? If you have an airbrush compressor or some kind of other equipment that could be used for depreciation purposes, you want to make sure you keep those receipts, how much you pay for it, how much it's worth, uh, hairstyles, you know, they have their, their curling irons. They may have even have their little, um, their little stoves um, that they use for irons. Um, if you're in a salon, of course, you're going to have all of your, you know, major equipment, your dryers and things like that. That's the stuff that you need. You need, the re you need to keep receipts for everything so that you know how much you purchase. That's what's, what's going to be written against or deducted from your, your income amount. Um, you want to keep every receipt. For instance, if you are a makeup artist and let's say you have your, you don't, you don't have, you're not in a salon or a studio and you, you just get um, people who call you to do their makeup you want to write down and record what you were paid. So if it's just um, a friend of a friend, then, you know, it's up to you whether you, you, re, you include that as your income or not. Like I said, it's, it's up to you however you want to do that. Um, but if you're going to record it, I would, I would, write, a re, I would write out a receipt. And then I would have some type of form that you could list. For instance, you did a job on such and such date, makeup application, this is what I was paid. But, of course, if you're getting jobs, if someone calls you and hires you for a job, let's say um, to come down to the local television station and do something, whatever, and you're getting paid X amount of dollars, there's going to be some type of, Invoice whether that news station is going to set you up as an employee, as an employer, or I mean, sorry, not employer, but as a vendor. They set you up as a vendor. They're probably going to ask you to um, submit uh, an invoice. So you want to keep records of that invoice, and then when it's paid, you know, market paid, and then the check. Make a copy of that check. Keep the checks up and attach all of that to the invoice. Um, now, if you're, if you're working, for instance, like my sister and I, we work on film and television as makeup artists, and we are employees of, you know, the payroll company that's associated with that particular project. So we're going to get a paycheck 
um, each week where they've taken tax out um, and everything. So basically, we don't have to, I mean, we can keep those for our records, but at the end of the, or the beginning of the next year, we're going to get the W-2. So that's going to pretty much show all the income that we've made from that particular job. So really, you know, if we don't want to keep anything like throughout the year, like check stubs and that kind of thing, we don't have to because we're going to get the W-2 um, at the end. But if you have, but if you're doing individual jobs, then you're going to want to keep, have something that you can show proof back to um, an invoice. Um, because you have to remember for like those jobs where, like I said, a production company comes to town and they want you to come to the local news station and you do a job, you have to remember they're going to be reporting that as an expense on their end. So they're going to say that they paid such and such makeup artist $500 for a four-hour job that they did. So you, on your end, should be reporting that as well. So um, those are some of the things that you need to keep. Again, when you uh, when you look at your, um, I forget the, the number of the form myself on the top of my head, um, for business expenses, uh, what's that? The Schedule C. So if you're going to uh, complete a Schedule C, you'll see at the bottom all the different categories that they have there, you know, advertising, um, office expense, your, your, um, your car. So a lot of times people would collect gas receipts. So you can't, you can't report the total of your gas receipts if you're going to report, um, what is it? For instance, like the money your that mileage. you need. Yeah, your mileage. So, but what I'm saying is if you could do gas receipts as well as the money that you may have spent on your vehicle, if you use your vehicle for work purposes, um, you can't, that amount that you may spend on maybe doing some repairs as well as the gas receipts, um, if you're going to report that, then you can't report the mileage. If you report the mileage, then you can't report the gas receipts and the maintenance amount. So just keep that in mind. It's one or the other. Also, a lot of people complained last year that, um, you know, with with the laws being, with the things being changed, you know, now that Trump is in office and he's changed a lot and people were complaining like, oh, my God, I can't write off this, I can't write off that. A lot of things that you were writing off for, for business, you know, for business on your personal return, it's not going to help you much, like they said. But if you do have a business, you may be able to write things off through your business. So that's something you may want to sit down with a tax professional um, and talk about before doing your, your return. So just remember that because a lot of people complained last year that they owe or they didn't get much back or they didn't get anything back. Um, and, that, and that's the one thing I want people to pay attention to because I hear a lot of people and a lot of people ask me, you know, they're, they are saying like, we have to, you know, we have to pay so much every year. Um, and this is, this is before any changes that Trump would have made, but they always say they'd have to pay so much every year. One thing I want people to look at is your exemptions. How much money are you paying in taxes during the year? You know, you know, your withholdings, are you having a whole lot of money withheld or you, or you don't have much money being withheld at all? You have to kind of take a look at that because, um, you know, when you're doing your return and you get to the point where you're 
you're recording the money that was withheld, you have to take a look. If you didn't have much withheld at all, if you got most of your money up front throughout the year, then you just ought to know that come tax time, you're going to have to give some of that back. So you just have to be very careful with um, the number of exemptions. For instance, if, you, if, it, if it's just you, a single person, you can kind of play around with the numbers a little bit. Um, you know, you may just want to claim throughout the year one and one, one federal, one state. Or you may want to do um, one federal, zero state which I think is safe. Uh, I always think when it comes to the state, it's best to say zero. I have, you know, zero. You could take all the money you need out when it comes to state. Federal, you can, you can do one or two and still, you know, be fine. I mean, sometimes I may even do nine exemptions. But the thing is, is that if I know I have a lot of stuff to write off, to go against that, then that's one thing. But when you don't have anything, you know, um, as a makeup artist, freelancer, you know, you have to, you just have to be smart about it. For the most part, makeup artists and hairstyles, we buy a lot of product throughout the year, a lot of product. So that would be a big help when we keep those receipts. If you're not making a lot of purchases on product throughout the year, then you may want to um, you may want to think twice about um, what you're going to do as far as your exemptions and, and expenses. And then I would suggest, you know, just according to to um, when I got my taxes done last year, because now, like with with our expenses, like the make, you know, the the products that we're buying, you know, things like that. If you're not writing that off against a business, then it's almost like you can't even use it personally as a makeup artist. It's got if you have, you know, if you have an LLC, um, you know, some type of business um, that's related to what you do as a makeup artist then um then those receipts are better better used um writing them off for that business because otherwise you won't you really won't be able to use it now the best thing you can do um as far as taxes and write off write offs goes as a makeup artist is you know charitable donations um you know give to give to charities give to a church um if you have an IRA, you know, make deposits into that IRA account, IRA account, and and that will help you um, as far as write-offs go. Um, but again, for like your your different expenses, um, you know, for you know the different expenses that we would normally take, they will have to probably go against a business um, in order for them to count. That's just according to. Uh, the new tax laws, um, courtesy of President Trump. I mean, it sucks, but that's, you know, unless unless you report them against um, 1099 income, if you have 1099 income, and, and that's going to be very important. Um, you know, if, if definitely if you freelance and, and, and somebody's paying you, um, you know, and you get a 1099 from them because they didn't want to take taxes out, that's great. You know, work as many jobs like that because then those uh, receipts that you have for your expenses like your makeup and, you know, brushes and supplies and all that kind of thing can go against that 1099 income, and that, that helps you. Exactly, that helps you. So, like I was saying, if, if it's if it sounds confusing, it's best to speak with whoever your tax professional um, before yeah. actually doing your and sure, just and just save um, all of your receipts, just like you were saying. And then another uh, great resource that I've always um, looked to every year, I would always go to the IRS building in Baltimore every year. Um, back when I was doing my um, own returns. And actually, I've been doing my own returns ever since I've had a tax return. 
until about maybe four years ago or so is when I stopped doing my own returns. Um, but I would always pick up a Pub 17. And this is just uh, a resource um, for federal income tax. And it basically, it supplements the information that's contained in your tax form instruction book. So, you know, you get the, uh, what is it, 10, whatever um, form you use, whether it's 1040EZ, 1040A, or, you know, uh, or 1040, your tax um, comes in a tax book, your forms come in a tax book, and it'll have you know, the basic information to how to complete that return. Well, well PUP 17 gives you the detailed information, um, which helps supplement the information that you're going to get in your tax instruction booklet. It's a great resource. The IRS has it for free. You do not have to pay for it. Um, you can go online and pretty much flip the pages online if you'd like. Um, or you can also request one from the IRS if you don't live anywhere near, you know, an IRS building where you can go and actually pick one up. But Pub 17 is going to be your best friend each and every tax season. It'll, you know, tell you what's new, tax laws, everything, you'll get that. Um, I'm trying to think, I think, it, I don't know if it was Pub 20, I'm trying to think what the, there's a small business publication for those out there who, um, are looking for um, information for business, small business owners. Um, let me see if I can find it, go online and see if I can find that uh, really quickly to let you guys know. I just cannot remember the number. It's been a minute since I um, had one. But um, that's a great resource as well, that small business um, publication. And I'll try to get the before the show goes off. I'll try to pull up that um, that publication number. You can go online as well and pick that one up as well. Those are great resources. Um, something else that I wanted to share. Okay, so we talked about the burden of proof. We talked about you know the different types of um, records. Um, not only keeping, you know, great records to monitor the progress of your business, but again, you want to make sure those financial statements are in order. Um, you have to be able to identify every source of income. So every source of income that you're reporting, you must be able to identify every source of income. Everything that you're going to deduct, like we said, you have to keep tra track of all of your deductible expenses. You have to be able to prove where they came from. Um, if you, if property is something that you have um, in business, like you know your property taxes, not saying that it has to be physical land or anything like that, but I mean, but if you have a salon and you have equipment in the salon. You have to be able to keep up with um, that property, okay? Because that's a that's a whole separate uh, return, okay? So make sure um, you're able to keep those different uh, that information readily available, so that you know um, exactly how you can proof back to it. People always ask, how long should they keep their tax records? I don't want to tell y'all <laughs> how long I kept my records. I still own every tax return that I've ever done. And I'm planning to get rid of that because when you just put it in a box each year, next thing you know, you have several boxes. You're not even... But you're not you're not looking at that stuff every day, so you kind of forget about it. Well, I've had this stuff in boxes for years and just kind of forgot about it. And now that I realize that it's there, I'm going to get rid of it. But people normally say, um, 
they always normally are saying that you should keep about maybe two to three years of returns, of your tax returns. But I feel comfortable with having at least five years of returns. Um, and some people, you know, for some people, they may even want to keep more than that. You know, it's up to you, but I would definitely keep definitely three years of returns. And then for some of, some people who want to purchase homes, you're definitely going to need at least three years of returns. So the IRS will tell you, keep your records as long as needed to prove the income or deductions on the tax return. Well, I mean, I don't know. I've had a random audit done, not just on my, um, well, this was for the state of North Carolina. Um, I had worked one year in North Carolina, filed my return, got my refund, everything. And then several months later, I got information from them that I needed to pay back like $500 maybe, something like that. And they did, um, they were just doing, the, the guy told me they were doing random audits. It, 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 it had nothing to do with me. Like they didn't just pick me out and say, okay, we're going to audit her records. It was just random. And I'm, I can't remember what what was wrong on the return, but Anyway, I had to pay um, money back. So you, but but I will say that audit took place like I got the refund in in April or May, and then maybe what? I don't even know if it was a year later or 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 if it was still in the same year. But it was fairly quick. I don't know if the IRS would do an, a random audit from six or seven years ago. I don't even think they would be caring so much about that far back. And not only the IRS, but the various states as well, because this, this was on the state level, not the, not the uh, federal level. But keep as many returns as you feel comfortable with, I should say. If you are happy with keeping 10 years, then keep 10 years of returns. But I definitely would not do less than three because uh, I could definitely see three years being needed. And I know for home purchases, you definitely would need at least three years of returns. So um, that's what I have to say about how long that needs to um how long, I, you know, you should keep your records. So I think that's basically all I have for um, for taxes. Okay. Um, I wanted to just mention really quickly, I mentioned it last week again, but I'm just giving you um, just an update on IMAT Vancouver and giving you a little, uh, just a little bit more information. Um, Again, IMAT Vancouver is taking place at the Vancouver Convention Center um, and on the West Exhibition level in Hall B. And it's going to be April 4th and 5th, Saturday, April 4th through Sunday, April 5th. There's no uh, pro, no, um, no like specific pro day. Um, Sometimes they usually do on a Friday, we'll have a pro day. But um, it's April 4th and 5th, Saturday and Sunday. I do believe Michael Key is kind of like starting over with his IMAX shows and and just kind of rebuilding. But, on Saturday, the show will take place from 10 a.m. to 5 p.m. Um, that's different from uh, normally in L.A. and Atlanta and New York. The show on Saturday norm- normally takes place from um, 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. And then Sunday, 10 a.m. to 5 p.m. But in Vancouver, uh, the show on Saturday will take place at 10 a.m. to 5 p.m. And then on Sunday from 11 a.m. to 5 p.m. And this show, I'm at Vancouver, has been in existence for 10 years. It launched in um, in 2010. So happy 10th year anniversary to them. 
Um, yes, and I'm glad they're pricing. I'm sorry. No, I said I'm very happy that they're doing one this year. I know when we were in London last year, um, there were a few oh, yeah. makeup artists who came from Vancouver to London because they said they, you know, because they weren't having a show last year, they missed out on the education. So I'm glad that they're, you know, they're back from their break. Right. And so the the ticket prices for Saturday will be twenty four um, Canadian dollars, um, and for Sunday it will be uh, fourteen Canadian dollars. So that's pretty reasonable uh, for ticket prices. So there's no reason uh, for you not to be able to get a ticket. I think that's a um, you know really nice reasonable investment um, for IMAP. So you can get tons of education, tons of products from vendors. And some of the vendors that they have so far lined up this year, uh, Delium Tools, Makeup Forever, Royal Langnickel, um, Suba Beauty, um, Hapu Hodo, and uh, Vancouver Effects. And so more uh, more vendors are on the way. Uh, but don't be surprised if a lot of the trendy brands are not there. Uh, Makeup Forever is there, so that's great. Um, but just, I'm just saying, don't be surprised if you don't have a lot of the trendy brands there, and don't be surprised if it's more focused on film and TV. Um, I think that's a, a, a big focus that uh, Michael Key is bringing back to his IMAT shows, where the focus will be heavily on film and television. It will be heavily effects. There still will be some beauty, but you're not going to have a lot of the trendy beauty brands there, which to me I think is a great decision because then you don't you don't worry about um, the long lines of people, um, you know, people standing in long lines for some of these brands blocking the aisleways, and people you know can barely get get by. Um, there's so much noise that the you know pe- the vendors can't hear if their customers talking. I think it's going to be intimate. I think it's going to be, um, I think it's going to be pro-focused, um, heavy, heavy on the education, heavy on demos, things like that. Things that you originally wanted to see when you first went to an IMAX or, or, or when you first decided to go to some type of makeup trade show things you wanted to see. You wanted to see demos. You wanted to see how to do a certain thing, how to do a certain technique. Um, so I think it's going to it's gonna be heavy on that. Um, so it's not going to be a, you know, being able to run in and buy your favorite popular brand for cheap. It's not going to be that. So if, if you're a professional makeup artist and you want education for um, professional makeup artistry and, you know, you want to be able to, um, speak to the vendors, talk to the vendors about their products, um, watch demos at the vendor's booth or, or on stage, or hear other professional makeup artists um, who are doing what you want to do. You're hearing them speaking. This will be the place to be. So I'm at Vancouver April 4th and 5th at the Vancouver uh, Convention Center. And I had someone uh, send me a question and asked me, um, about being a union member, like what was the big deal about being in the union? Because most people think, especially here in Georgia where it's a right-to-work state, they think, oh, well, I don't need to be in a union to to work on, you know, film and TV projects. And that's somewhat true. Um, but for these union projects, it helps if you are in the union, and it helps if not just being in the union but being trained before you get into the union, because a lot of people are getting on these shows and getting their days to meet the requirements of the of being a union member, but because there's no longer a test involved in union membership, people aren't necessarily trained before they get in. You know, I, I understand you have to submit your days, you have to submit pictures and photos of work, but who's to say that you actually did that work? Because there are a lot of people that are in the union now, and I, and I kind of wonder how did they get in if they can't do certain things, but yet you have to have pictures showing you doing certain things. So I'll leave that there. You can kind of, you know, think on that yourself. But I just wanted to give a few um, a few benefits of 
being in um, in a union. Um, I, I think it's important that if you if you do work in film and television and you're working on major motion pictures, you know what I'm saying, and these aren't just independent films, then I think it's very important um, that you get training, like I said before, but I do think it's important that you join um, the union. I think it's um, it's beneficial for all of us um, to join a union. So I'm going to talk a little bit about um, – labor unions and and just kind of go into a couple of the benefits. Um, so basically a labor union is an organized association of workers, um, often in a certain trade or profession, so like us, and, you know, makeup artistry or hairstyling. It is formed to protect and further the rights and interests of the workforce. So basically labor unions um, – protect you on the job. Um, labor unions are there to help you negotiate, you know, better rates, things like that. Um, being a part of a labor union, as this definition stated, it furthers um, your rights and your interests. And so going into some of the benefits, I think, of a labor union just very quickly, um, one of the benefits is collective bargaining. And it's basically where the workforce, like if we're on a film and television set, the workforce would be, you know, your makeup artist, your hairstylist, your grips or whoever. Um, your workforce um, bands together um, to increase its negotiating pow uh, power. So if there was a certain, like if you were going in to negotiate um, higher rates for your key or for your additional makeup people, you know, it may benefit you to go in together with the hairstylist to negotiate rates, um, you know, for for the whole team as a whole. So basically, it's it's better. It's instead of one person going in trying to negotiate uh, rates, it's better if the workforce comes together and tries to negotiate better rates. So that's basically what collective bargaining is. Um, another benefit of being in a labor union is workplace safety. So you're, you know, you're protected on the job from unsafe things, whatever that may be. Um, it could just be cords lying on the floor and you and you tripping over them and things like that. But workplace safety, um, you're protected as far as um, sexual harassment goes, um, things of that nature. Um, another benefit of a union is higher wages. Um, depending on how long you've actually been in the industry and depending on your skill level. Um, but higher wages definitely as opposed to being a non-union worker. Um, it's possible that you, you know, you make more money. Um, better benefits is another benefit of being a part of a labor union. Um, you know, health care benefits, um, retirement benefits. You know, sick leave. If you're on, if you're on the show, um, let's say it's a, a television show for a long period of time, and let's say a woman gets pregnant, um, you know, it's possible that they could give you um, like maternity leave. So those are some benefits of um, of being in a labor union. But but one other um, important benefit is there's always a union representative. So you always you always have someone who can pretty much fight your battles for you. You know, if you're on a job and, and you notice on your paycheck your your rate wasn't correct, you know, or something like that, then you don't have to sit there, oh, I got to leave set and I got to go talk to the accountant. Oh, I got to – you don't have to do that. You know, you have a union representative who can take care of that for you. That person is – even when it comes to negotiating and and if they if they get like I said if they got your rate incorrect that union representative is there to fix that for you. You can do your job and the union rep fixes that for you. So those are some things that are beneficial for being a, uh, a in a in a labor union. Um, like I said, most people think, oh, you know, I can work without being in a union. Yes, you can. 
But if something happens to you as far as your rates not being what you thought it was going to be, you're going to have to try to protect yourself. And when it comes to them or you, they can easily tell you, take this rate or nothing. You know, but being a part of a union, you have someone to fight for you. There are contracts in place. So that's the thing. You don't have to do – you can let the union – be the mean guy, be the tough guy. You know, you can let the union be the one to to do your negotiating, to do your fighting your battles when it comes to the production and and things like that. You don't have to do that. You can focus on your job. So, again, collective bargaining, workplace safety, higher wages, better benefits, and then just having access to a union representative are some of the benefits of being in um, of being in a union. So I hope that clarified and cleared up some things for the young lady that sent me the question. Nice. Well, that's our time, everyone. Thank you guys for tuning in tonight. Um, Again, stay uh, in tune to our social media outlets. We will be posting our guest um, information who will be on with us next Sunday night. Excited about um, having her on. So, uh, Check us out on social media throughout the week, and we'll get that information out there for you guys. But until then, thank you guys so much. Have a wonderful evening, and have a beautiful and blessed week. Good night, everybody. Good night.